Hello friends and foes, I'm Addie and this is my meddling mind. Welcome back you guys. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. There's been so many true crime breaking news stories in the last week or two that I wanted to start off the episode with some that have really stuck out to me. I will still have a main case, but I really wanted to share these, but they don't really have quite enough information for a full episode. Let's jump right into the first breaking case. This one happened earlier this week, January 2nd, 2024, in Riverdale, Utah. Kai Zhang, a 17-year-old Chinese foreign exchange student, was kidnapped and his family was forced to pay an $80,000 ransom. Or so they thought. It turned out Kai and his family were victims of a cyber kidnapping extortion scheme. Kai hadn't actually been kidnapped. He was discovered inside a tent in the mountains near Brigham City in Utah. Kai had been targeted by fraud scammers and was told that his family would be harmed or even killed if he didn't comply with what they told him to do. These scammers specifically target foreign exchange students many times because these kids come from foreign countries into a whole new culture. So Kai was contacted by these scammers, told his family would be hurt if he didn't comply. Kai was directed to go into hiding or else something bad would happen to his family. So of course he complied. Kai's family received a picture of Kai with a ransom demand of $80,000 and I'm sure they were panicking. Luckily, police got word that Kai had camping gear and was camping out. The police had an idea where he was and hiked and used drones until they found him on January 2nd. He was found inside a tent with several phones police believe that were used for the scam. Also, only a sleeping bag, a blanket, very limited food and water. The police said he was cold and scared and just wanted a warm cheeseburger. And it's been snowing in Utah, so I can't even imagine how freezing it was out there. And also, apparently his host family didn't even know he was missing. I saw in some sources, which is a bit concerning. But I just thought that story was so insane, and I'd never heard anything like it. But apparently it's not so uncommon, and I feel so bad for Kai. It must have been so scary. But I'm glad it all turned out okay. The FBI was involved and wanted this story to be a learning lesson and for people to be aware that these kind of things happen. Now for the second breaking story, this one also happened in Utah, I know, shocker, but I'm from Utah and a lot of crazy shit happens here so get used to it. This one is so so sad and really the only reason I wanted to share it is because hopefully it will continue to spread the word that your mental health matters and everyone deserves to get help. Around 10 p.m. on January 2nd, 2024, a store manager in the Salt Lake City Airport reported a disturbance involving a passenger. No sources state the exact details that led to this report. The same passenger was seen exiting through one of the terminal's emergency exit doors that led straight onto the airport's outdoor ramp area. A search to find the passenger happened and a pilot reported seeing the man. About 10 minutes into the search, clothes and shoes were found on the runway, and then, moments later, the man was found. Here's a trigger warning, but he had run under a plane and climbed into the engine. 
the plane was on a de-icing pad so the aircraft was running, but quickly police contacted air traffic control to tell the pilot to shut it off. The man was Kyler Effinger, a resident of Park City, Utah. The police found him unconscious and partially inside one of the plane's wing-mounted engines, and it had been still rotating when he was discovered. The scene was secured and life-saving efforts began. They tried CPR and also gave him naloxone, which can help with narcotic overdoses. But unfortunately, he passed away. He was only 30 years old. His father, Judd, has come forward to share more about Kyler's mental health story, and I think it's so important to share. Judd, Kyler's dad, had stated that Kyler was actually supposed to be boarding a flight to go visit his dying grandpa. Kyler actually had missed his flight because of a delay in security, and he had called his dad, Judd, to let him know he was booked onto another flight, but his dad could tell that his son was not doing good. Kyler was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and his dad could tell that the situation was very triggering and stressful for Kyler, on top of the stress from his grandpa already. Kyler was bullied for his mental health in college, and it seemed to really affect him. He seemed to not really want to get help when he seemed to really need it. Judd stated that he would encourage families to really push to go to professionals for help, such as doctors and therapists. It seems like that Kyler had some sort of mental break and an autopsy will be performed, but I can't imagine much information will be public. Judd described Kyler as a sensitive man who loved to ski and play soccer. His family wants to spread the word that mental health matters and Judd stated that the cause of death was likely due to head trauma, which happened very quickly, which I hope is some sort of comfort to the family, even though that is so awful. After that very sad and tragic story, I have some somewhat good news. I guess I wouldn't necessarily call it good news because it's so gross and grimy, but more names from Jeffrey Epstein's list of clients or co-conspirators have been publicly released, and some of the people included are shocking to say the least. I'm not going to go into depth about Jeffrey Epstein and his island, maybe I'll do an episode about him someday, but for now I just wanted to share some of the names I was so shocked about. And if you don't know anything about this case, I'm sorry, but if you know, you know. And also, just because their name is stated does not mean they engaged in wrongdoings, but also didn't mean they weren't, so take that as it is. I'm gonna just read off some of the names. First off, Prince Andrew, which no one is shocked about. Also, Leonardo DiCaprio, which also did not surprise me at all. It also included Michael Jackson, Stephen Hawking, Donald Trump, and Cameron Diaz. Those are just some of the names, but you can definitely go find the rest online if you are curious. And many more names are still redacted and will be eventually released, so I'm sure more big names will be fleeing the country, or some people suspect some will turn to suicide once more names are released. I'm already so incredibly shocked with who's involved, I can't even imagine who else is because they must be even more in the public eye than the names already released. Like I said, maybe I'll cover Epstein Island one day, but it's so highly covered that if you are more interested in the story, it won't be hard to find coverage of the case. Lastly, for the breaking news cases, Gypsy Rose Blanchard is out and living her best life, and so many people are rallying behind her, and I love it. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm springing so many cases on you guys, but I just think those were all so important to share. But let's finally get into the main case for today. 
this is a little bit of an older case. It took place in 1986, all the way in Fulham, London, in the UK. Susie Lamplew was a British real estate agent who disappeared when showing a home to a client. Susie Lamplew was 25 years old, and she was beautiful. Her friends described her as outgoing and a hard worker. She had short brown hair and was always known to dress very stylish. She had been working in real estate for a little over a year. It was the 28th of July in 1986, and Susie had been working in the office until it was about 12.40 p.m. She then gathered her keys and purse, hopped into her car, and started heading towards 37 Chorlds Road. Susie was on her way to show a newly listed home to a potential buyer. The home had only been listed for about a week. She arrived and met her client, Mr. Kipper. The last time Susie was seen, she was walking away from the home with the so-called Mr. Kipper. We only know the mystery man's name because it was written in Susie's plan book. But who knows if that was the man's actual name, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't. It had been hours after the showing should have taken place, and Susie had not returned to the office. Her manager grew concerned and first called Susie's mother, Diana, just in case she knew where Susie was. But Diana was surprised by the call, and she didn't know where she could be if she wasn't at work. So, the manager called the police. Police began a search quickly of the area. They also went to search her apartment for any leads. Diana knew something was wrong from the start, and she confided in police that Susie said she had some sort of stalker. It wasn't really clear how serious it was, but she wanted the police to know quickly in case it could be something. Susie had stated the stalker made her scared and uncomfortable. She had been sent flowers by the unknown man but she never mentioned his name. Susie's uncle also stated she complained about this man to him. At 10 p.m., Susie's car was located, a white Ford Fiesta, about a mile away from her office. It was illegally parked and there were no signs of a struggle. They dusted for fingerprints, but none were found. The driver's door was unlocked and her purse was in the glove compartment, but the car's keys were missing. The chair was also pushed back, way further than Susie would have had it. So someone much taller than her must have been driving at last. Three witnesses came forward and stated they had seen the man waiting outside on Shorold's Road, waiting for Susie. He was dressed in a very nice suit and had thick black hair. And also this specific detail has never been verified, but some say he was holding a bottle of champagne. A composite sketch was created by police, but they didn't have anyone to compare it to at the time. Some believe this was no client of Susie's, but that she was actually meeting this man for more personal reasons. And this theory, I believe, is very possible because it was later found out that the house that Susie was going to show had only one pair of keys and they had been left at the office. Police continued to search for any clue that could lead to where Susie went. Another theory is that she just ran off and started a new life but I believe that's highly, highly unlikely. About a week later, Diana stated on a radio show that she knew that Susie was extremely claustrophobic, so to think that someone could possibly be holding her in a confined space, it was easy for Diana to believe she was just dead because she didn't want to imagine her daughter was still suffering in any way, and that is so awful her mother is just trying to find comfort in the worst situation. The police had more hope that she would still be alive somewhere. They went door to door in the area where she went missing, they also DNA tested a few unidentified remains, but none were Susie. The family made many TV appearances begging for Susie to be returned home 
or from any information at all. Luckily, the case got a lot of media attention. The composite sketch of the man was even shared to the public. About 700 leads were followed, but unfortunately, the case began to go cold. It was later found out that when police went door to door, they had a picture of Susie that was not updated. She naturally had black hair, but when she went missing, it was like more dirty blonde. So the picture the police used was old. It seemed the police rushed through the case trying to solve it and had gathered so much evidence that a lot of it was misplaced or lost. In 1998 and the year 2000, they had the case reinvestigated and still couldn't figure out what happened. In 2002, John Conan, a convicted felon, was listed as a suspect. He was eerily similar physically to the witness description of Mr. Kipper and eerily similar to the composite sketch. While in prison, John somehow developed the nickname Kipper, which could possibly be some sort of coincidence, but maybe not. When Susie went missing, John had just been released from jail for a sex crime. John was known to always be dressed nicely and was a fan of the finer things in life, such as fine wine, nice cars, and beautiful women. And if you remember, Mr. Kipper was seen holding a champagne bottle, and that would definitely line up with his love of wine. John's first crime was absolutely awful and terrifying at 14 years old. He sexually assaulted a woman in a phone booth, but since he was a child, he was hardly punished. In the 60s, he obviously wouldn't get the help he needed because clearly he was already having problems. But he seemed to have a good childhood, so we can only wonder what went wrong. In 1980, John had a son and had been married, but left his son and wife for another woman. But when the new woman tried to leave him, he almost beat her to death. In 1981, John was robbing a store and tried to rape the worker, but was caught and sentenced to an eight-year prison sentence. He was released early, just five years later, and just three days before Susie went missing. When he was released from prison, he lived in a hostel right around the corner from where Susie worked. John was also questioned about the rape of a woman just after he had been released, but there was not enough evidence to charge him. It's so scary to me that these sexual deviants used to and actually still do just get to walk around after being charged with awful things. John went on to try to rob another store and try to rape two employees, but was caught and then linked to a woman, Shirley, who had gone missing months earlier and been found dead weeks later. This crime happened only about a year after Susie's disappearance. In 1998, John was found guilty for Shirley's murder and the attempted kidnapping of Julia Holman on the previous night, the rape of a woman in Reading Berkshire in 1986, the rape of his girlfriend in December 1980, and several other abductions and sexual offenses, he got charged with three life sentences. John's previous girlfriend and also a cellmate said John confessed to Susie's murder. So this is how John was linked to Susie. But the cellmate and the girlfriend's story didn't line up, so the police couldn't prove anything. Investigators believe that John was responsible for Susie's disappearance, but they couldn't prove it. And when John was questioned, he never gave anything away. John was a prolific serial sexual deviant. Investigators nowadays believe Mr. Kipper was never a client and Susie just wanted it to seem like she was meeting with one. 
No one knows why. John's property was searched if Susie's remains were there. Also, divers searched multiple ponds looking for Susie's remains, but the searches always came up with nothing. Almost a decade later, after the crime had happened, the family requested that the police would bring the case to a conclusion. And on the 27th of December, 1993, Susie was officially declared dead. The official cause of death was listed as murder. John became eligible for parole in September of 2023 at 68 years old, but he was refused in October 2023 to be released. He will only be released if the parole board rules that he was no longer a serious danger to the public. Diana, Susie's mother, founded the Susie Lamplew Trust just after Susie went missing. It's an organization for personal safety training, I think that is so great and has helped so many people in Susie's legacy. It hurts my heart that her family never got any closure. And this is really one of those cases that will forever creep into my head and make me think, what really happened to Susie? All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's now time to turn off your phone and go outside or maybe get a yummy treat because all of those stories were really heavy. I want you to all remember and ponder on those cases, but not to go spiral. And I'm saying this because sometimes listening to hard stories like this can take a toll on your own mental health. And even though these stories are so important, you are too. Okay, that's the end of my TED talk. I also just wanted to quickly apologize if you hear a lot of background noise in my episodes. I live on a super, super busy road and I've tried multiple things like editing to get rid of the background sound, but it's just super, super difficult and I am no tech wizard. So I genuinely apologize. Hopefully in the future, it will be better quality and I'll figure something out. But if you've stuck around to listen to the full episode, I really, really do appreciate it. If you wanna stay updated on newly released episodes, you should follow My Meddling Minds Instagram, which is at My Meddling Mind Pod. And not to flex or anything, but the Instagram just got its first follower that isn't my friend or family. So I'm basically famous now and I feel untouchable. So until next time, see you guys.